At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. Billionaire entrepreneur Jared Isaacman is heading to space. Again. It's a little sense of G's. We'll make it quick. Partnering with Elon Musk's SpaceX, the Polaris program will consist of three orbital missions, culminating in the first flight with people on board of SpaceX's new mega rocket, Starship. Isaacman, who made history with last year's all-civilian Inspiration4 spaceflight, will command all three. The first is Polaris Dawn. It's targeting a March launch and is expected to include the first ever commercial spacewalk. But before Isaacman and his crew can head to space, they must train here on Earth. I didn't think I was going to space again. I mean, it felt so fortunate to be part of that experience. But coming back from Inspiration4, seeing the direction SpaceX is going with Starship, having an opportunity to participate in a real developmental program where you're either you know, testing technology and techniques that haven't been done in 50 years or something that hasn't been done at all um, was pretty exciting. I recently joined Isaacman in Bozeman, Montana, where the crew was training on fighter jets to discuss preparations, his partnership with SpaceX, and the future of the broader space economy. I'm Morgan Brennan, and this is Manifest Space. We can't go to space uh, very often. It's a lot of planning that goes into a mission, um, but we want to use as much time leading up to it for, for training as possible. Using fighter aircraft is a great analog. It's why NASA does it with their T-38s. So it's a dynamic, you know, high consequence environment. Uh, so it kind of forces you to, to do that extra level of training because there's no reset button uh, like there is in the simulator. Yeah, and this, this of course isn't your first rodeo. Mm -hmm. I mean, you've been to space one time before, just, a, just about a year ago now. Yeah. Um, so why are you going to space again now? Talk to me about Polaris Dawn. So, uh, I mean, Inspiration4 was an incredible mission. Uh, we did all of our objectives. We raised over 250 million for St. Jude. I, I didn't think I was going to space again. I mean, it felt so fortunate to be part of that experience. But coming back from Inspiration4, seeing the direction SpaceX is going with Starship, having an opportunity to participate in a real developmental program where you're either you know, testing technology and techniques that haven't been done in 50 years or something that hasn't been done at all. Um, was pretty exciting. So, um, you know, we came up with some great objectives for the Polaris program, thrilled to sign up for it, and also continue some of the, the good work we're doing with St. Jude. So the Polaris program, it's three missions. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, hopefully, it culminates in the first crewed flight of Starship as well. I guess, talk me through the arc of what you plan to do and accomplish on each of these missions. Right, so, I mean, just starting with the, the first one, Polaris Dawn, which is what um, we're getting ready for, um, for early, you know, for early next year. and. Um, Basically, we have three objectives on that mission. One, we're, we're going to go to the highest uh, Earth orbit ever flown. So farther away from Earth uh, since the last time somebody walked on the moon 50 years ago. So that's pretty cool. Um, but besides just being um, you know, a, a really interesting view and altitude, we're going to gain a lot from uh, radiation exposure really close to the Van Allen uh, radiation belt. Hmm. And that, that informs two things. One, just vehicle design, because avionics don't like radiation. And two, if we are going to you know, get to the moon, ideally get to Mars at some point and back, we'd like to do it and be, be healthy along the way. Uh, so maybe uh, find ways to develop some countermeasures to better protect crew on their on a, a journey that hopefully a lot of people will be able to undertake one day when when Starship comes online. 
you know, two, we're going to do an EVA. So we're going to do a spacewalk. We're going to vent the entire Dragon capsule down to vacuum, and then we're going to exit the vehicle. And, and, and the reason for that is when we do get back to the moon and eventually get to Mars, we're probably going to want to leave the safety of our vehicle or habitat and get work done on the, on, the, on the surface of the planet. So we need to be able to make spacesuits not like one at a time as it's been done over the last like 40 years that cost hundreds of millions. We need to be able to mass produce lots of spacesuits for the amount of people that we hope someday be able to send to Mars. Um, not to mention gaining experience with the operations will help um, future missions. And then third, we're going to communicate over Starlink satellite constellation. Uh, instead of the, the ground stations and satellites that were, you know, 40 years old that are kind of uh, slow. Uh, so when we do get to Mars and you want to send a video message home, you can be able to do that, um, you know, keep that good connection back to Earth. So, um, so that's one of our three objectives, along with about 40 science and research experiments over five days. How did the Polaris program come to be? I mean, is this specifically your baby? Is it a partnership? with SpaceX? Are you a customer of SpaceX? Like, how to think about that? It, so it's a partnership with SpaceX. Uh, so that's why we have two of our crew members are actually SpaceX engineers. Uh, so very talented employees. Um, you know, Anna Menon, she's our uh, mission specialist and uh, our medical officer. So she was a biomedical uh, uh, controller at NASA. Uh, she's a lead mission director. So if you saw Apollo 13, she's the Ed Harris in the room. Uh, so you can imagine what she would gain from going to space and being able to bring that to mission control. And then um, uh, uh, Sarah Gillis, she was the lead astronaut trainer for SpaceX. Uh, she trained uh, myself and the Inspiration4 crew. She's trained every NASA astronaut crew that's gone to space on a Dragon. Uh, you can imagine the benefit of having a, a lead astronaut trainer actually go to space to train what should be hopefully hundreds of thousands of people in the future. So SpaceX is contributing talent to it. They're making a lot of investments in this mission for spacesuits, vehicle changes, life support changes to support an EVA. Um, you know, Polaris is contributing equally into it. And the actual objectives for our missions were, were actually jointly formed with Elon uh, shortly after the Inspiration4 mission. Of course, you know, when I hear the words investments and contributions, how much is the mission costing? Yeah, so we, we don't really get into that because, I mean, everybody knows space is expensive. Ideally, when Polaris is done and we have Starship, which could be the 737. <laughs> Couldn't have timed that better. I was going to say, and not one of your planes. <laughs> That's what we want. That's what we want Starship to be. Uh, Starbase Texas is not building one Starship. Starbase Texas is building hundreds of Starships, and you could potentially put 100 people in each of them. So the idea is actually to undertake this Polaris program to get to a point of Starship so you can open up space to the many and, and obviously bring down costs considerably because it's a fully reusable launch vehicle. So would it be fair to say that through the Polaris program, you're essentially also starting to build out with SpaceX a private astronaut corps? I, I think we're, what we're doing is continuing uh, where we began with Inspiration4 to kind of expand uh, access to space to everyone and have lots of commercial astronauts. Um, and, and I think we've made a pretty good amount of progress in just a short period of time. I mean, mm. you know, it uh, wasn't more than two years ago, really, that the only way to get to space from the US was through Russia. And now we've got Crew 4 up there right now. We've got Crew 5 coming up. You're about to have the third commercial astronaut mission coming up with Polaris Dawn. So a lot of progress, short period of time. How, how do you envision this industry and human space flight, the space economy, how do you envision it evolving over these coming years, given the fact that it does seem to be accelerating that pace of development? Yeah, so um, what SpaceX did with reusable launch vehicles was everything. I mean, that was so critical. I mean, if it's going to cost a quarter of a billion dollars or some outrageous number to put a satellite in space, then you've got to be really selective about what you put up there. Um, and, and probably of 10 good ideas, one get picked. 
But when you've got reusable technology and you're able to catch those boosters back on a ship, maybe eventually catch it with the actual uh, launch pad itself, which is the goal of Starship, you can bring costs down to such an extent that you can open up the idea for so many good ideas to come. Like, we don't even know. I mean, imagine, you know, back in the 80s when you just had, like, you know, the rich Wall Street type with their, with their car phones, right? And you're like, could you ever imagine a day where maybe, like, you know, your teenagers at home have got all these cool apps going and, like, all the possibilities that could have been opened up from smartphones, like you, you, can all, you almost can't even make that connection at that point. Mm. When we can bring down uh, the cost to access orbit to such an extent as Starship is, is endeavoring to do, you don't even know potentially the possibilities. Are we gonna have space hotels? I don't know, maybe at some point in time, but we're gonna be able to put a lot more stuff up there. There's a lot of space, we're gonna learn a lot, and there will certainly be an economy to follow. Are you worried about things like radiation poisoning if you're doing the Van Allen belt? Like what? How are you thinking about risks? How do you assess that? Yeah, so I mean, it is a developmental mission. So there is a lot of stuff that we said that either haven't been done in 50 years or, or haven't been done at all. Um, I think that's part of the excitement for it because you gotta get outside your comfort zone if we wanna actually make life multi-planetary someday. Um, so, but, but at the same time, you've got you know, 60 years of NASA history that's informing a lot of what we do. You have the most talented people that I've ever met I mean, an army of 10,000 at SpaceX that are thinking through every single possibility up there to try and mitigate risk so we can achieve what we want to accomplish, but do it in a safe way. Mm. What do you think about the space landscape from a market standpoint? I mean, SpaceX, massive valuation, I think most highly valued, one of the most highly valued private companies in the world now. But then you've had all these other space companies that have gone public. We've seen them not immune to the drastic downdraft uh, in the public markets right now. Is that a risk to this entire narrative? Well, one, I, I think the amount of investments that's going into the space industry is, is fantastic. I mean, if, if, I mean, we know so little about what's out there. I mean, we are like literally a speck of dust in the grand scheme of the universe. So the fact that we can get some resources, especially private resources, so we're not burdening the taxpayer, um, but having good private industry invest in, and make some of these strides, I think that's generally a really good thing. You know, if, if we look at the landscape right now, um, you know, there's probably some things that are going to have a, a tougher, tougher journey right now. You know, I think suborbital um, is always going to be challenging because in a suborbital spaceflight, you can't put cargo in space, you can't put, you can't put satellite space, you know, um, so it kind of limits some of the utility. You kind of have to depend on point-to-point -point travel. It's a little bit of a, you know, a, a tough leap to get there. But if you can put mass into orbit, um, that is a service that is only going to grow in demand over time. No question about it. Um, so I think those that are kind of prioritizing and focused on that is good. Uh, I'm not surprised SpaceX has, you know, uh, the highest uh, valuation of a private company. You know, throughout my more than two decade career in technology, if somebody has some groundbreaking development, there is always somebody right behind. I mean, you know, Apple comes out with an iPhone, we're gonna see a, a Samsung or a Galaxy like six months behind, right? Uh, SpaceX landed the first rocket on a ship in 2015 seven years ago, have done it more than a hundred times, have really pioneered reusable technology. No one else has even done it once. Um, so that just speaks a little bit to how incredible that organization is, how much change is taking place there. And mm. they fully deserve that valuation because they are going to open up space for everyone. Another business that you're bringing on board is Starlink. Mm -hmm. Talk to me about that. Yeah, so for, for 23 years of Shift4's history um, and all of our growth has been derived entirely in the US. So all of our volume you know, we touch a quarter of a trillion a year in payment volume. It's all here in the U.S. All of our revenues drive in the U.S. We have always, um, like, dreamed to expand internationally, to, to kind of expand our rails and reach all over the world. Um, 
and, and what we needed was kind of a, a big catalyst to move us in that direction, and that's what Starlink did. I mean, Starlink is going to bring, bring broadband connectivity all over the world. We, we saw it in Ukraine, right? I think that was eye-opening for people that, um, you know, at the beginning of this horrific conflict, Starlink was quick to react, brought numerous, like, uh, thousands of uh, Starlink terminals to restore connectivity and, and literally save lives in Ukraine. Gives some people an idea of, like, what, what that connectivity can do. I mean, you're not going to run fiber lines across deserts and rainforests, um, but, you can, but you've got thousands of satellites above you that can do, deliver really high-performance internet. So uh, we're thrilled to uh, be able to have that relationship. We've already announced an acquisition in Europe, so we can expand our coverage into, uh, into Europe. We're continuing to expand. It's our stated intention since our uh, investor day last year. We will expand all over the world to follow Starlink and then be able to address the restaurants and hotels and stadiums and retailers that are in those markets as well. You, uh, you're somebody who is remaining exceptionally busy, I have to say. And then on top of it, you're flying fighter jets right now as part of astronaut training. I'm, how, do you, how does one acquire a MiG-29? <laughs> so to be really lucky, um, you know, uh, uh, the late Paul Allen had probably one of the most impressive aircraft collections that like, the world has ever seen. And, and one uh, prize aircraft within that collection was, uh, was a MiG-29. Uh, so he spent an awful lot of money restoring it, maintaining it, nicest MiG-29 in the world. And, um, you know, I was lucky to be able to purchase it from his estate, unfortunately, after he, uh, after he passed. And, um, yeah, it's a, it's a great aircraft. Uh, it kind of joins our, our L-39s and Alpha Jets, and it's super suitable for the type of training we do for, for Polaris Dawn. Not to mention a lot of fun. Yeah, and this is all part of your own personal fleet. It is. Wow. A lot of people, I think, don't realize how prolific Paul Allen was to the early commercial space efforts. Oh, no, no question at all. I mean, I mean, there's probably a lot of companies today that we've all heard of that might not have even existed if it wasn't for some of Paul Allen's early investments in the space. So. so just one more question for you about training, and that's, okay, so fighter jet training this weekend. What are some of the other ways the crew is getting ready for spaceflight? Uh, great questions. Uh, so there's, there's obviously all the traditional things, which is a lot of academics, uh, so a lot of time uh, studying systems and procedures, and then we kind of put that knowledge to work in simulations. And we do a lot of simulations. We do it as a crew, and then we do it with a little bit of mission control, and then we do it with everyone from mission control and launch control center. And, and they're almost never normal. They're always almost everything that can go wrong, so you're really well prepared. Mm. But on top of that, we do mountain climbing. We all went to Ecuador and, and climbed Cotopaxi. Uh, we do scuba diving, because um, that's a great analog for EVA and spacewalks. Um, we're doing, obviously, fighter jet training for a lot of reasons. This is just one of many, many uh, flight training events that will take place uh, throughout our whole launch preparation. Might even do some skydiving. I like it. I think it's a high anxiety, uh, like high consequence environment as well. Because mm. um, you, you only get one crack in an EVA effort. So you want to make sure everybody's good frame of mind, prepared for literally being surrounded by death, which is what it's like to be in space. So, so as someone who's been to space before, with this mission, Polaris Dawn, what is the thing you're most excited or looking forward to? So, uh, to be really, I look at the whole mission. Um, I look at everything from the mission design, uh, which is before we even go into training, uh, all the way through the training effort, um, and then going in and achieving all of our objectives. So, people ask it a lot. I mean, I loved being in space with Inspiration4, but I, I thought of it as the whole mission. You want to get it right. Um, and, and really, that's after you come home and you look back on everything you set out to do and if you, if you accomplished it. Um, so, we've got just unbelievable objectives for this one, and I'm, I'm, I'm excited about all of them. Well, we're excited to see how it all plays out. Jared Isaacman, thank you so much for joining me yeah, today. Yeah, thanks, Morgan. Appreciate it. That does it for this episode of Manifest Space. Make sure you never miss a launch by searching Manifest Space wherever you get your podcasts and by following the Squawk on the Street podcast. 
For more on the space race, be sure to watch Squawk on the Street on CNBC. I'm Morgan Brennan. Dogs are an important part of our lives, and keeping them protected is a top priority, especially against nasty parasites. That's why you got to check out NextGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and Pyrantal chewable tablets. NextGuard Plus chews provide one-and-done monthly protection that kills fleas and ticks, prevents heartworm disease. Plus, it treats and controls roundworms and hookworms. That's a whole lot of protection packed into a delicious beef-flavored, soft chew designed to make monthly dosing easy and enjoyable. So the next time you're at the vet, ask about NextGuard Plus Chews. They're the one-and-done monthly parasite protection you want for your dog. Use with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurologic disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting a preventive.